And if you're staying in here with us, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. Uh, if you've not been with us uh, through this journey, we have been studying the book of Luke uh, since a long time ago. Don't even know at this point. Um, but we are getting to the end. And in fact, today are our last two stories before Jesus enters Jerusalem uh, for the last week of his life. And so we are very, very close. And today we're going to look at two stories, um, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus and then a parable of the ten minas. Uh, and there's a few themes that carry over from last week. Last week, we talked about the rich young ruler and uh, what was impossible with men is now possible with God. Uh, and we also looked at the blind man on the road in Jericho who was healed. And he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and some of those themes are going to carry over today that a rich man is going to be impossibly saved as in, in contrast to the rich young ruler who was not saved. Um, we're also going to see Jesus' heart to show mercy, to seek and to save those who were lost. Um, so let's jump in and let's look at it. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. And we'll read all the way to 27. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. That means he was short. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten, ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your miner, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, 
because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten miners. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this truth um, that you came to seek and to save the lost. God, you came for each one of us, and no matter how lost, how broken, how notorious our sin has been, or how clean and pretty our life may look on the outside, God, you came for us. You came to seek us, to, to find us, and to save us. God, that's your heart. You want to restore us back to God. And so I pray today, God, if there's someone in the room who doesn't know you, who doesn't know, uh, doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that you would seek and save them today, God. And I pray for those in our families who are lost, those in our friend circles who are lost that don't know you, and they're, they're living their life for all kinds of things, but not for the kingdom. God, I pray that you would use us to share that good news with them. God, and I pray that as we study this, God, we also would see God, how you've called us to be stewards, that you've given us so much, not just in money, but in, in resources and in relationships and in opportunities and time and energy and creativity. God, you've given all that to us. It's yours, and you've told us to use it, God. I, I pray today uh, that this message would convince us that it's, all that stuff is to be used for you, for your kingdom, because it's yours. And so I pray that as we hear your word this morning, God, that your spirit would speak in ways that I can't, God, and that you would teach us the truth, you would embolden us to live it out as well. And so we love you, we pray all this in your son's name, amen, amen. Let's look at this first story first, uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. I, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached on Zacchaeus. I've heard a lot of uh, Sunday school lessons. I've sang the song a, a lot of times, and we're going to sing it as a group here in a minute. Um, just, it might just come out. You never know uh, when we get to that point. Uh, but I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached. Maybe I wasn't listening. Uh, but this is one of the last places in stories that's recorded before Jesus enters Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho. He's about 18 miles away from Jerusalem. And he's just done some amazing things, healing blind Bartimaeus and all that. And it says in verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, we know that the crowd that Jesus was, was his entourage, the people that are trying to get around him, was big because it, it made even a blind man notice, right, that he knew there was something going on. And this crowd is passing by, um, and in that crowd, there's a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is described as a chief tax collector. It's only used one time here, but we get the sense that he's not just a just a just bottom level tax collector. He has advanced in the ranks and he is a big dog. 
Now, what this means is he was an Israelite. He was a Jew. And he had abandoned his own people to go and work for the Romans. And he sold out his people to go work for the Romans to make a buck, right? And he was collecting taxes from them, usually with the insinuation that it was more than he had to, right? He was taking a cut for himself. He was, he was doing this, not only did he sell out his own people, but he was doing this to make himself rich on the backs of his own people. So I don't know what you think about him. I, I always have a sympathetic heart towards him, but we need to understand first that he was a sellout. <laughs> he was a traitor. He had abandoned his own people. But we also see this about Zacchaeus. Like the crowd, like everybody else, he wanted, it says, to see who Jesus was. It's not just, hey, I, I want to see him with my eyes. Like, like we want to see a celebrity or we want to see Taylor Swift at the Kansas City whatever game. Like, no, this is not that. He wants to see who Jesus was. He has this, this aching, this desire to know him. Right? And if you think about who Zacchaeus is, man, I think he felt guilty. I think he felt um, alone. I think he felt um, regret. I think he felt a lot of things for the life that he had lived. And even though he had become rich, it was on the backs of his own people. And he's totally isolated. And I think he's coming to Jesus not just because he wants to see the miracle. No, he's coming to Jesus because he's got a deep need. And he wants to see who Jesus was. He's heard maybe even about blind Martabaeus who was just healed. He's heard about mercy. He's heard about grace. He's heard about the coming kingdom. And he's thinking in his mind, I want to see who this is. Now, there's only one problem. And you all know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? Let's don't sing it. Um, but verse 4, what does it tell us? That he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to. There we go. There we go. Thank you for amusing me this morning. It's so easy to just sing the song. And I, I was just laughing this week, just thinking about it. But um, we can't miss the desperation we can't, it's, it's almost like Bartimaeus, the blind man last week, just yelling until people are telling him to be quiet. He's obnoxiously calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And what Zacchaeus does is obnoxious and embarrassing, but he has this deep desperation to see who Jesus was. This is not normal for grown men to climb trees. Anybody? And the grown men in the room climbed a tree this week? Some of you do that for work. Okay, that doesn't count. How many of you climbed a tree this week just to see what you could see? <laughs> you, you didn't. It's embarrassing, right? Because we struggle at it, one. But this man was desperate. And he was willing to do this in front of a big crowd. This is silly. Okay, sorry. Just laughing. Verse 5. And picture Zacchaeus, grown man. Small little man, but grown man in a tree. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
as Jesus made his way, he, he notices, as everyone in the crowd probably had, the grown man that's in this tree. And Jesus looks up and he doesn't look up at him and make fun of him. He doesn't look up at him and point and laugh. He doesn't do any of that. He looks up and he calls his name Zacchaeus. He already knows him. He already knows who he is. He knows his story. He knows what he's done. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly about Zacchaeus. And Jesus calls out to him. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I need to stay at your house. Jesus knew him. Not only does Zacchaeus want to know Jesus, Jesus wants to know Zacchaeus. Jesus wants a relationship with him. And so what does it say Zacchaeus did? Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him, Jesus. He received Jesus joyfully. He, he quickly got out of the tree. Maybe he just fell, I don't know. But he got down and he ran home to make provisions to host Jesus and his disciples and all these people at his house. This was a huge day. It says that he received him joyfully. This is intentional language by Luke. It's meant to make us remember the story of the seeds that were scattered. It's the same language. That some of the seeds were scattered and some people, the soils received it with joy. Right? And Zacchaeus here receives Jesus with joy. Zacchaeus is meant to be a picture of good soil that receives the good news of the kingdom, that receives the message of mercy and grace, and it plants in his heart, and one day it's going to produce the fruit of repentance. Now, this is an amazing story, right? Zacchaeus, excited. Yeah, I get it. Jesus is coming to stay at my house. But we get the opposite side of the story, verse 7. It says, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They, who, who is they? We, we really don't know. It doesn't tell us who they is. But it's got to be the Pharisees. It's got to be these hyper-religious, hard-hearted Pharisees all around. And they're, they're starting to look for this opportunity to, to, to catch Jesus in something. And their hearts are so hard against the Zacchaeus and those like him, that they can't stand that Jesus will associate with them, let alone go and eat a meal and stay in his house, right? These hard-hearted Pharisees, their heart is not, this is the good news for everyone. No, theirs is, this is the good news for us. This is the good news for my group. This is the good news for this. And Jesus did not come for that. He came to bring good news for everyone, including Zacchaeus, who is a notorious sinner. Now, we have all kinds of different notorious sinners in our society. Most, nobody's tax collector, IRS agents, never mind, it's a whole other deal. Um, it's not exactly the same for us. But we all have different notorious sins that we might put a label on somebody and say, well, they struggle with that, so we kind of keep them over there. Well, she, she did this in her past, so she's over there, and they're like this, so we, we kind of stay away from them, or we lock our doors extra at night around them, right? And there's all kinds of notorious sinners in our day, too. And God forbid that our hearts be like they, who grumbled when Jesus said, I'm going to your house to stay Verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, 
And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Probably this is later on in the day after he spent time with Zacchaeus and he's been in his home. And as Jesus spends time with Zacchaeus, gets to know him, Zacchaeus sees who Jesus is and he understands and the seed has been planted in his heart. What does it do? It produces fruit. And one of those fruits is repentance. Now, this, this, I've realized this this week, that Luke tells these in, in, a, in a sequence here. The rich young ruler, right? Similar man, right? Very religious, very rich. And Zacchaeus, very rich, sold out his people. They're kind of opposites. And what happens to the rich young ruler when he hears the message of the kingdom? He's sad, and he walks away, and he abandons it. Why? Because he loved his riches more. And what happens to Zacchaeus here? Zacchaeus is so enamored with the good news of the gospel. What does he do? He says those riches mean nothing. Right? He, he walks away from it, whereas the rich young ruler won't. Right? This is the opposite of that story. And Zacchaeus promises to give away half of all that he has to help the poor. And then if I ever cheated anybody out of anything, which he had, <laughs> guaranteed, that's why he's rich, he said, I will repay it four times what I cheated them out of it. This is what repentance looks like for Zacchaeus. Why? Because that was his issue. That he loved money more than he loved Jesus. That he had cheated his own people out of money. And so what does he do when he understands the gospel, when he's saved? He repents of that. And it, it, this is what happens when we hear the good news of the gospel. When we believe in our hearts that Jesus died in our place and was risen again to beat death and that we can be saved no matter what our notorious sin was, when we hear and believe that, it produces the fruit of repentance in our life. And one of those ways is that we become open-handed with our stuff. It doesn't, that doesn't own us anymore. That doesn't claim us anymore. But it it looks so many other ways. It's not, this is not just about money. This is not just about our stuff. And Jesus says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus confirms to us that, that Zacchaeus has believed and received salvation. Now, this is not because he gave away half of his money. Don't get the order wrong. Zacchaeus responds in obedience after he has believed. But once he has believed, he does live out this, right? This fruit, this works. It's interesting that Jesus says, since he also is a son of Abraham, he says, this man has been saved, and he is a son of Abraham. Think about what he had done. He's abandoned his own people. He said, I don't want to be y'all. I'm going to work for the Romans. And now Jesus is restoring him and saying, what you gave up and what you sold out, now I'm putting back. You are a true son of Abraham. This is very provocative to the religious people that are around Right? Because this man, of any man, does not deserve to be restored. What he has done is, is too bad, too much. And Jesus comes and saves him and restores him and brings him back. This is what he came to do. That's what it says in verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you don't have that memorized, do it today. If you don't have it underlined, if you're into that, underline it. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Jesus is making a very clear statement. And this is directed to they, those who are grumbling about who he's associating with. He's defining, this is why I came. This is what I'm here for. We've said it this way this whole series. This is the good news for who? Everyone. Notorious sinners included. He came to bring the outsider to the inside. He came to reconcile lost sons back to the family. He came to look and find the lost. He came to save the needy. He came to enrich the poor. He came to rescue those who were in peril. And how's he going to do that? The next week of his life. The next week of his life. He's going to accomplish all that he came to do. But this is why he's going to do all of that, to seek and to save the lost. He's here for the wayward son. He's here for the one who's veered off the way. And so if that's you today, if that's where you find yourself, maybe you're, you're here in church, so you're not too wayward, but if you, in your heart you know, man, I veered off from where God has me. Jesus came for you, and he did everything he could to bring you back into his family. That's what he wants. And if he'll do it for Zacchaeus, one who had abandoned and sold out his family, he'll do it for you. He continues on, verse 11. We'll look at this parable in our last few minutes. Jesus tells this parable. It's called the parable of the ten minus. And I think what's happening here is this. Is they're starting to sense that this thing is coming to a close. This Jesus is talking about the kingdom coming, him accomplishing the purpose in Jerusalem. They know they're getting close, and they're thinking, man, we're about to, we're about to be there, right? These disciples are going, this is about to get real. Because their perspective is when he comes into his power and the kingdom, what's gonna happen? They're going to be rich. They're going to have power. They're going to be ruling. They're going to take down the Romans, all this sort of stuff. They're thinking we are on the cusp of something really, really good. And so Jesus tells this parable. And that's what Luke tells us in verse 11. It says, as they heard these things, he told a parable. He proceeded to tell the parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Jesus is, is really addressing their hearts because he knows what's about to happen and they don't, even though he's told them three times. He, their heart is, this all is about to get really good. It's about to get perfect and clean and, and really good. We're going to rise to power and gain wealth, and Jesus knows what. No, actually in about a week, things are going to get really bad. You're going to be hiding in an upper room. You're going to be fearing for your life. And so what Jesus is trying to do is to prepare them. What is life going to be like when I'm gone? What's this whole thing going to come to when we wait for me to come back? And so, so this speaks to them, but this speaks to us today. Because we're in the middle of this waiting period between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And so we need to hear this parable and learn from it today. So here's what he says. It says in verse 12, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So there's this nobleman. It's, it's the idea of a king or a king to be. We're just going to say king. That's easier for me to say. And so he, he's in his current kingdom. He travels somewhere far off and he says, I'm going to return one day and I will have my kingdom. Right. So this is meant to be this direct tie to Jesus that he's here on earth right now. He's going to leave them. But he's going to return one day as the full-fledged king. 
But what he's trying to get them to understand, this is not going to be immediate. There's going to be a waiting time. There's going to be some, some gap. And so what does this nobleman do? He gives instructions to them, like Jesus has given to us today. And here's what he says, verse 13. It says, he called ten of his servants, and he gave them ten minas, and said to them, engage in business until I come. So he calls ten servants, and ten in, this, in parables is symbolic of fullness. So he's speaking not to just ten of us, he's speaking to all of his followers. This is directed to us. And he gives each one of them ten minas and instructions. Now this is slightly different than this, the parable of the talents, where each person kind of got a different amount. In this case, each person got ten minas and was told to do what? Engage in business until I come. Now, a mina, because we don't deal in minas, I don't have any in my pocket today. A mina was the equivalent of three months wages. Equivalent of three months wages. So you can do the math in your head and figure out what 10 of those is. That's 30. It's two and a half years of wages. So just whatever your number is, start thinking about that number Let's, if we take the average salary, da, 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 all that sort of stuff, let's just say it's $150,000 today, right? This is not a fortune. This will make you comfortable for a little while. It's not going to take care of you the rest of your life. But that's not what it's meant to be. What's it meant to be? It's meant to be seed money, right? He, Jesus, or this nobleman, is giving them seed money. And what are they supposed to do? Engage in business and make the king more money. Right? That's what they're doing. They're taking the money as stewards, investing it, working it, and then they're building his kingdom, not their own. And so the spiritual par parallel for us is this, is that we too are these servants, and we've been given lots of things by God himself. It's his stuff. He gave it to us, and he told us, engage in business. Engage in the business of the kingdom while I'm gone. And one day I'll return, right? And so we, with all the stuff that we have, and this is, this is way more than money, okay? This is way more than money, but it certainly includes money. We are called to work for the Lord, for the kingdom, to be creative, to be hardworking. Why? To build his kingdom. Verse 14, it says that his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So we've got the servants who have been given this task to, to be about while he's gone. There's another group of people, his citizens, and it says they hated him. They did not want him to be their king. They're rebelling against the king and trying to stop him. Now, the obvious parallel to us today is this, is we live in this mixed group and there's people who are trying to serve the Lord and there's people who are actively rebelling against his kingship but that's the reality of our life today right let's keep going we'll come back to these people at the end verse 15 it says when he returned having received the kingdom he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business so we don't get a time, but after some time, the king comes back, and he asks, what'd you do? What kind of business did you create? How did you grow this? How did, what did you multiply? How did you build my wealth? Because it was his money, right? 
and he comes back to take an account. The obvious spiritual parallel for us is one day Jesus will return, and he, just like this king, will look at us and take an account. What did you do with the stuff that I gave you? What did you do with the time? What did you do with the relationships? What did you do with the creativity? What did you do with the personality? What did you do with the networks? What did you do with the children? What did you do with the friends? What did you do with the money that I gave you to build my kingdom? That's the question he's going to come back and ask. And that's a question that we will have to answer as a church. But truthfully, this is a question for us as individuals. What did I do with the stuff? What did I do with this stuff? And we get this reply in, in verse 16. The first servant came before him saying, Lord, your miner has made 10 miners more. So this first servant took this seed money of 150K and he made 10 more. He doubled it. He, 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 whatever business he started, a donut shop or a, a whatever, I don't know, Gary, what, what he did, but he made a lot of donuts and he turned it into 2X. He doubled it. He multiplied the kingdom. That's what he was supposed to do. And so the, the king, what does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. This servant is, has been faithful. He's rewarded with authority, with responsibility. Why? Because he was faithful with the king's stuff. The second servant, servant comes to him in verse 18. said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. The second servant took it and started a laundromat or something. And he, he didn't do 2X because nobody likes to clean their clothes as much as they like donuts. And he only made five but he's still told what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be rewarded with authority and responsibility. Why? Because you were faithful with the king's stuff. Verse 20. Why did, I, why did I say that about donuts? That's weird. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man you take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. The third servant, instead of saying, hey, I started this or I did this, pulls it out of his back pants, unwraps the handkerchief, and says, hey, here's your money back. Here's all that stuff you gave me. I, I was scared. I, I didn't want to risk it. I wasn't sure if I would be successful, so I, I just kind of kept it. Here it is. You can have it back. And then it seems... Sad that he didn't try, that he didn't do anything, he didn't take any risk. He, didn't, he just sat on it. He was so scared of failing or, or losing something or, or not succeeding, maybe how the others were, comparing himself to how the others were doing. He's just scared, so he sat on it. He just sat on all the stuff that the king had given him, and he disobeyed his word, and he didn't do anything. And what does the king say to him? Verse 22 says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Right? The king is not pleased. He calls him wicked. He uses the word condemn. 
This is serious business. The least he could have done was at least put it in and get a little interest. The king would have been very, not greatly pleased, but he would have been better off. But this man, because of his fear, hid it, sat on it, did nothing with it. And because of that, he is being condemned. The spiritual parallel is very clear for us. God has given each one of us stuff, time, energy, talents, money, relationships, family, children, jobs, interests, so many things. He's given it, he's given it to us. We didn't, we didn't choose this. He gave it to us. And what did he task us with? Build the kingdom. Build the kingdom. We're called to risk it, to multiply, to grow. We're not called to sit on it. We're not called to just be scared that we might fail. There's this weird truth in Scripture that if we will just be faithful to do it, it's not dependent on us. If we seek to grow the kingdom, God somehow does it through our inabilities and our insecurities and our incompetencies. God somehow multiplies the kingdom with our best efforts. We are not meant to just sit on it. And so he tells in verse 24, Take the miner from him, give it to the one who has ten. And they said, Lord, he has ten. And Jesus says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus takes from the, from the unfaithful and he gives to the faithful. And it seems unfair to us. We, what? This doesn't make sense. But it's the king's stuff. And it's his money. And it's his right to do as he sees fit. And he gives it to the faithful. And so the spiritual truth is this, that those who have been faithful to be about the king's business will be given way more than we could ever imagine. Way more than we ever deserve. Right? We'll get heaven. We'll get eternity with God. We'll get more than we can even fathom. And those who are unfaithful will eventually have it all taken away. Right? Because it's not ours to begin with. That is a sad reality for us to wrestle with. And here's what he says last. Verse 27. As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The spiritual parallel is, is very clear. For those who do not want Jesus to be king, as any good king will do, he will snuff out that rebellion. He will. If you don't want him to be king, that's fine. He won't be your king forever. But for those who remain faithful and use what God has given us for his kingdom, God will give us more than we can even fathom. And so the simple question today as we finish, and I'm past my time. So what are you doing with the king's stuff? He's given us all kinds of things as a group, but as individuals. Are you sitting on it? Are you scared to take a risk? Are you scared that you might fail? Are you just being lazy, <laughs> not willing to use it, not willing to put any effort out there? Because that's not what we've been called to do as his servants. We've been called to work for the Lord, to build his kingdom with our time, talents, and energy. So if you've really trusted in Christ today, I ask you to just take a second and evaluate your own life. 
Are we using what the time, the talent, the energy, the money that the king has given us, the personalities, the quirks, the interests, the, the connections, the relationships? Are we using that to build the kingdom for the sake of the kingdom? Or are we just about ourselves? If you just close your eyes where you're at, and let me pray before we finish. I know we end kind of on a, a down note, but this is where the parable ends. And it makes us ask the question of our own selves, God, am I being faithful to what you've called me to do? And, and I ask that you just think about that right where you're at. Am I being faithful to what you've called me to do, God? Or am I sitting on it? Am I just staying back, just, just letting, letting it happen out there but not getting involved myself? Am I just scared or or something, just something that's holding me back. Is that me? Or am I giving it for the kingdom? Am I investing? Am I pouring my life into others? Am I serving? Am I, am I sharing? Because that's, that's where this parable is meant to lead us to. Am I being faithful with what you've given me? And part of being faithful is us having the same mission as Jesus. And Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost. And his servants are going to be about that same mission. That's what it means to build the kingdom, to seek and to save the lost. And the question to ask ourselves today is, God, use me. <laughs> Give me more so I, can, so I can spend more, so I can build more, so I can multiply more. This parable is meant to make us ask, are we being faithful with the stuff that God's given us? Let me pray. And then we'll sing a song and we'll get out of here. But I don't want to rush past what God might be speaking to you where you sit. So let me just pray for a sec, God. God, I pray that God, you would just, you would help our eyes to see all the stuff that you've given us, the 10 minas that you've given us, the time, the talents, the energy, the money, the resources, the relationships, the children, the connections, the jobs, all the stuff, God, it's, it's from you. God, and first I pray that we would see that, that it's from you, it's not our own. And I pray that we would be like Zacchaeus and we would receive that joyfully and we would desire to build your kingdom, not just our own. God, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts and give us a passion to be uh, on mission with you to seek and to save the lost. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to that mission and be faithful stewards of the, the stuff that you've given us, God. May we not sit on it, but may we risk it. God, and you will do imaginably more than we can even fathom, more than we could ever take credit for, God. Your word has power, and so I pray that, that we would risk it, not for our own sake, not for our own glory, but for yours. And so we love you this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.